Have I got it on the right side? Yes. Yeah. Well, it's the right side, but <laughs> does that room in the right? Okay, if you would open your Bibles with me then to Matthew chapter 11. And we'll look at the last few verses from uh, verse 27. In which Jesus gives you an invitation to come to him to receive everlasting life. And encourage you, encourages you to accept this gracious gift he offers. Matthew 11 from verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray that you would open our eyes now to behold your glory. Show us your glory, we ask. Call people through this message. Encourage saints. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so verse 27 of Matthew 11, the Lord says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Uh, Jesus speaking here of God the Father. Uh, the Bible, God's Word, of course, reveals to us that God is a trinity or a tri-unity, three in one, three but one, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, who are one God. Now, that is too complex for us finite human beings to get our heads around, isn't it? Although, let's face it, you would not expect uh, us mere creatures to be able to fully comp comprehend God uh, who made the heavens and the earth who is without beginning and is without end uh, Jesus uh, the son of God of course always existed uh, there was never a time when Jesus did not exist but at a point in time he became Humanity here, Jesus was born of a woman in order to live and to die in our place as a substitute for us. Uh, there was something between us and God, and that, of course, was our sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, we have all gone astray our own selfish ways. Uh, before the judgment throne of God, we were guilty criminals. You see, that is the position of mankind. 
Well, you see, when people imagine themselves, as most do, when people imagine themselves to be good enough to get to heaven, then that shows they have no idea of God's holiness. I mean, they have no idea uh, what sin is uh, and, and the guilt. I mean, when you think of it before... Uh, before God there, that even to sin in our imagination makes us guilty before God. Well, if all are guilty, though, it stands to reason, doesn't it? That if you're a a guilty criminal for breaking God's laws, then a guilty criminal cannot have fellowship with God. I mean, imagine if, to use an illustration, imagine if you was awaiting trial before a human judge. And you knew the evidence they held against you showed that you was guilty of those charges against you. And so you knew that when you stand before this judge, you're in deep trouble. Well, the judge is not your friend, is he not, in that scenario? You see, when people in that position imagine themselves being close to God, it's a figment of their imagination. Uh, They're living in cloud cuckoo land. But you see... God the Father, he sent his son, Jesus, into the world to be born of a woman, to stand in our place. Uh, Jesus would go on trial before God his Father instead of us. And so all the criminal charges that can be brought against us at the judgment at the throne of God, and let's face it, there are far more than we know, We're guilty of far more things than we know. Well, all the criminal charges that could be brought against us at the judgment, the charges for every sin we have ever committed or ever will commit was attributed to Jesus. And so he then stood on trial before God, his father, at the judgment throne of heaven in our place. And guess what? God, after considering the evidence... He didn't say, so-and-so's a good person. He said, remember, it's our charges Jesus was held for. But you see, when Jesus stood in the dock at the judgment throne of God, and all of the charges against us were accounted to him, they were transferred to him, the evidence was heard and he was found guilty. Crucify him was the result. Uh, You know, where I live, people, I don't know if it's the same here. I imagine uh, being in a Catholic area, but people speak a lot about guardian angels. But do you realize, if you was on trial before God for your own sins against you, the angels would be shouting, crucify him or crucify her. But you see, because they know what sin is. But you see, Jesus willingly took our place upon that cross. And so, uh, the punishment from God that we deserve was poured out upon him. All of it. So there is nothing left to pay. But also, in order for us to be good enough to get into heaven, we had to live in a right way before God. It wasn't just our sin needed paying for, but we need to live in a right way. But we failed, even as believers. We all do selfish things. Uh, There is no one 
without sin even as a believer. But Jesus, the Son of God, came as a substitute for us and he lived in our place. And so, it's not by how well we live that we get to heaven by, but it's on the basis of how well our substitute lived in our place. It's not about me having perfect theology, but it's about how well Christ did that, had that in my place. It's not about how well I resist temptation. Although the believer would want to resist temptation, but it's not about how well I resist temptation that gets a person accepted by God, but it's about how well Christ resisted the devil in our place. Or what about this one? You know, I was thinking about this. I, I often use the phrase that some people have a glass half empty, or I say, a, you know, a half empty temperament, or others have a, a glass half full temperament. Maybe you know who you are. But I was thinking we sh- shouldn't describe it like that. It's much better to describe it as an ungrateful temperament versus a thankful temperament. I think it's better when you word it like that, the way it is, because then you realize it's sin for all our ungratefulness. Are we not told to be thankful in all things? And we're much to be thankful for, but you see, it's not about how thankful I am that makes me right with God. But it's about how thankful Christ, my substitute was, that I'm acceptable to him. It's not about how, how well I manage to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And about how I love my neighbor as myself that makes me accepted by God. But it's about how well Christ did that in my place. You see, a person is accepted on Christ's performance or you're rejected and condemned by your own performance. There's no in-between. Now, does this make a person who believes this, uh, uh, who embraces this good news, does it make him or her want to sin? And the answer is no. It makes a person all the more grateful and want to live for Christ now after all is done and belonging to him. You see... Jesus is basically saying here in our text now that you cannot know God the Father apart from the Son. Uh, Apart from him, you cannot know God apart from Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is the image, uh, the exact likeness of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, then look at the person of Jesus Christ. You see, the Son, our text says, knows the Father alone. Only Christ fully knows what God the Father is like. He he truly knows him. But notice, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him, and he delights to do so. As then from verse 28, he gives this glorious and gracious invitation to come to him and learn from him. Learn. He knows it. Well, come and learn. And find your salvation in him. Verse 28, come to me, Jesus says. If you want eternal life, 
If you want to truly know God, if you want all of your sins forgiven, don't go anywhere else, he says. Jesus says, come to me. Uh, Notice, come to me. Uh, Come to a person. Not come to a mere academic theology, like some kind of exam paper. Uh, Not to a subject to debate about academically. But come to him. Come to the person of Christ and find life in him. And coming here, as in other verses, clearly means believing. Not just believing he existed, of course. Even the devils believe that. But in having knowledge of who he is and what he's done, putting your assent, that is, putting your approval or or, or agreement, your confidence in him. All that about who he is and and what he's done to save you. Well, approve of him. Put your confidence in him. Not being confident in yourself, uh, that you can save yourself at the judgment. You must do away with that. But place your confidence in Christ, in what he's done for you uh, to make you right at the judgment. Don't have no confidence in Christ and think, well, you know, he's done this for other people, but not me. Don't have no confidence in Christ and think he's done all that that we just said for other people, but not you. Don't think he can save other people, but not you, but be confident. Uh, Believe what he says, that you too can place your faith in him, uh, your trust in him to save you. And don't put your confidence in your confidence. Uh, Don't put your trust in how much you trust. It's not about how much uh, you believe or how much you trust that will save you. No, it's about how well Christ did those things. And so rest, you must rest upon what he has done to save you. And who especially here does he give this gracious invitation to, to trust him for your salvation? Come to me, all who labor, he says, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, in the context of this book uh, of Matthew, you see this again and again as you go through. Jesus initially has in mind here those who are oppressed by the heavy load of rules and regulations placed upon their shoulders by the legalists, the scribes, and the Pharisees. You see, uh, they taught, these religious teachers in that day, the scribes and Pharisees, they taught that the way to get to heaven, the way to be right with God, was to keep all the the to-the-letter rules and regulations. By strict obedience to their traditions, someone could be saved, they taught. Of course, they were complete and utter hypocrites themselves, uh, but they, they placed heavy burdens upon others. The people were weighed down trying to keep all their traditions and to the letter rules and regulations, all this outward religion. So that is the context of this book of Matthew, who Jesus had in mind initially here. But of course, this is written for our sakes. Uh, People of every age, people of every time period. So how does this apply to us today? Well, it it applies to everyone who is weighed down by trying to achieve salvation by their own efforts. 
You see, one person is told, uh, you've got to come to Mass. Pray the rosary beads, pay indulgences, do all uh, these rituals. But Jesus says, no, no, you come to me. Uh, don't put your trust in those things to merit salvation. Put your trust in me, he says, because I am sufficient. Uh, the Muslim prays his set prayers at certain times a day and thinks by avoiding pork, by growing a beard, or a woman wearing certain types of clothing and taking a trip to Mecca, they think they can earn the salvation. But Jesus says, no, no, come to me, he says. Don't put your trust in those things to merit salvation. Uh, put your trust in me, Jesus says. I am sufficient. Uh, the Seventh-day Adventist thinks uh, by being a vegan and worshipping on Saturday instead of a Sunday, that will make me right with God. I mean, surely after I do all those things. But Jesus says, no, no, uh, come to me. Don't put your trust in those things uh, to merit salvation. Put your trust in me, he says. I am sufficient. But what about the Mormon who thinks he can achieve salvation by not drinking coffee? I mean, do all those people, do they really think that on Judgment Day they're going to stand before a holy God? who's going to reel off this endless list of their sins and say, guilty, 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 guilty. Oh, wait a minute. You didn't take caffeine. Come on in. Uh, you, didn't eat, you said no to that bacon butty all your life. Well, I, I suppose I could let you off for all those crimes. Or you're guilty of this, but hey, you did say ten Hail Marys. Or what about the Jehovah's Witness who thinks by knocking on doors, to attack the person of Christ. That's all they do when they knock at your door. But Jesus says, no, come to me. Uh, don't put your trust in any of those things to merit salvation, but put your trust in me, he says, I am sufficient. Or what about the churchgoer, though, who thinks because they've been baptized, or because they go to church meetings and so forth, they think, well, surely God should accept me. Because of this. But Jesus says, no, no. Come to me. Don't put your trust in those things to merit salvation. Put your trust in me, he says. I am sufficient. What about the, the churchgoer with all the many rules and regulations? Whether it's, you've got to have this certain Bible translation. Or, uh, you, you can't listen to any secular music. Or, never drink alcohol. Or, you know... Don't do, you must dress in a certain way. Don't enjoy things too much. You know, as if at the judgment throne, God is going to say, well, you're, you're guilty of this, 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 and this. You are eternally condemned. But hey, I better let you into heaven because you did read from the King James. And when you was offered a glass of wine at a meal, you refused. And since... On Halloween, when the kids knocked at your door, you was mean to them. Well, you know, the kids were dressed as monsters and witches, but since you was a monster and witch in your heart, and yes, she was guilty of this or that sin, but I saw you when you was at someone's wedding and everyone was enjoying themselves. You refused to enjoy yourself too much. So hey, come on in. Imagine if the entrance to heaven was like all of that. I mean, it would be full of Pharisees. Heaven would be hell. 
But Jesus says, no, no, don't put your trust uh, into an adherence of rules and regulations. Jesus says, come to me. Uh, Don't put your trust in those things to merit salvation, but put your trust in me, he says. I am sufficient. But let me point out at, at this point that this invitation by Jesus in this verse, it does not actually apply to all those people that I've just mentioned uh, and more like them by example. Well, what I mean is, is there are many in those sorts of examples, and I'm sure you can think of more, but there are many in those examples who are patting themselves on the back for how well they are doing all those things. Well, that's not what this verse is giving an invitation for. It's not giving an invitation for those people who are doing those things and patting themselves on the back for how good they are at doing it. You see, Jesus is speaking here to those who are burdened and weighed down by such things. Those who feel crushed under the weight of trying to make yourself right before God. What about this example? The person who thinks he can be accepted by God on the basis of how well he or she believes. Or on the basis of how well he or she puts his trust in Jesus. But Jesus says, no, 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 come to me. Uh, Don't put your trust in those things to merit salvation. Don't put your trust in how well you do those things, in how well you trust. Put your trust in me, he says. Put your trust in how well he did those things. I am sufficient, he says. But even to a believer... Someone, even to someone who has already realized those things. And you have placed your trust in Christ for salvation. Uh, There is a temptation to be a Pharisee once in a while. And try to find your acceptance with God elsewhere. You know, it amazes me. You know, I I love preaching gospel sermons and and going over texts like these and And I'll be enjoying a wonderful time in God's word as I do so. And as I'm contemplating these great truths again of that salvation is all of Jesus Christ. All of it, 100% of him. And it's 0% down to my performance. There's always a a little bit of flesh that wants to rise up now and again. and, And play the Pharisee and say, no, no, it's too easy. It must be a little tiny bit down to me, or, or perhaps if I, if I keep this or that regulation. But Jesus says, no, 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 to the believers, come to me. Don't put your trust in those things to merit my acceptance. Put your trust in me, he says. I am sufficient. And as verse 28 continues, he says, and I will give you rest. That's a promise of God there. That if you will place your trust, if you will, it's a promise. If you will place your trust in Christ for your salvation instead of going elsewhere, you'll have peace of mind, peace of heart. Knowing Why? Because you know it's finished. You know he's done everything. So you've not got no rest because you're thinking, what am I to do now to save myself? But you place your trust in Christ and you can rest in him. You know how uh, some people, you know, you, think about this. You know, you, you may know certain people who always make others restless around them. 
What I mean is they're always, you know, hypocritical. Uh, and there's always something ex- uh, else, these people, they expect you to do to get their approval. And so there's a kind of restless, uh, you've never met anyone like that. There's a kindless, uh, they're always hypocritical people and you're treading on eggshells. And, and you, you don't know what's, uh, there's always something else you seem to need to do to get their approval. And so it makes everyone restless around them. And they, they leave you guessing half the time. But you see, Jesus is not like that. He has finished the work. Uh, There's nothing more that you have to do to get his approval. But to rest and enjoy him. As verse 29 continues, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, this this yoke in the initial sense was uh, a wooden frame that was placed upon a person's shoulders uh, to make something easier to carry. Uh, The idea was, for example, uh, have you ever picked up something uh, that you just can't, you know, a heavy weight that you just can't quite get hold of properly? And so all of your weight ends up on one little part of your body. And so, so it's killing you. You might put your back out or something like that with it. Whereas, if you could use all of your body strength, uh, it would be easy to carry, rather than it on one little bit, like a bit of your back or whatever. Well, you see, a yoke in a literal sense was this wooden frame that helped better distribute the weight. And so, it, so all your body was used uh, more evenly, so it was easy for you to carry. Now, that's what a yoke was in a literal sense. In Jewish literature around this time, a yoke allegorically meant a yoke allegorically meant the sum total of obligations according to the teachings of the rabbis that a person was expected to take upon themselves. That was a yoke. Uh, it meant a sum total of the obligations according to the teachings of the rabbis that a person was expected to take upon themselves. And so, whilst a yoke as in the example of literal yoke, whilst it was meant to make things easier, you could also be asked to carry a weight which would crush you and rub against you the wrong way. You see, all this strict obedience to to the letter rules and regulations to try and be accepted by God, this was crushing the people. And so Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. What he's basically saying here is, accept my teaching. Namely, that a person is saved by simple trust in him. Accept this, he says. Don't be weighed down by you've got, by you've got to do this, this, and this in order to be accepted by God. These endless rules and regulations in order to be saved. Don't be weighed down and crushed by that. But take my yoke upon you, he says. A person is saved by simple trust in me. And so he invites you to trust him for your salvation. And for I am gentle or meek here, meaning I am not going to give you something to crush you to earn your salvation. And I am lowly. You won't find me to be a hard taskmaster, Jesus says. For my yoke is easy, verse 30, and my burden is is light. Easy though, my yoke is easy, could be translated kindly. 
You see, the literal yokes of the day, they could be very unkind and uncomfortable and, and rub against you and hurt you. Uh, the yoke of the Pharisees with all the rules and regulations was not easy to bear. But Jesus says to you, I am a perfect fit. If you trust me for your salvation, it won't rub against you, but you will find rest for your soul. And notice there, I will give you rest. Salvation is a gift from Christ. You, you can't do something to earn it, but you must take it. It's yours for the taking, if you haven't already. So, do what he says. Take Christ's yoke upon you and learn from him. And become one of his disciples right now. Accept his teaching. Especially that a person cannot be saved by their own works. But by simple trust in him. And if you do that, uh, you will be saved. Let's pray. Our Father, we just thank you. That to come and the privilege of knowing God, being right with you, having purpose of life, happiness, are all found in you. But we need our sins forgiven first. And Lord, you've even done everything to do that by living and dying for us, by paying our penalty. So you can just you give us here this glorious invitation to all who hear this message. To not put the confidence in other things but come, trust in you, come to you and have everlasting life, be forgiven, be reconciled to God. We praise you and I pray that through this word you would call people to take, to trust you, to come to you. In Jesus' name, amen.